Thanks for tuning in. It's Philip Bateman here with Dr. Jody York, who's the Chief Impact Officer for Kalara Capital. And we're talking about driving evidence-based practice in ESG and impact investing. Jody, real pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Lovely to be here, Philip. Thank you. And your contribution in the white paper we're putting together is quite significant, as I see you as one of the world leaders in impact measurement with the work you're doing at Kalara. And I wanted to check for you, what constitutes a successful theory of change? The beauty of a theory of change um, is it actually underpins really everything everything you're doing. And so it sort of serves as the as the foundation. It's the groundwork of good impact management because I can't tell you what to measure if you don't know what you're trying to do and how it's going to happen. Um, so a, a good theory of change actually then gives you a roadmap. I mean, it is a roadmap in a sense. It tells you where you're going, what you expect to see along the way. How do you know if you're on the right path? Um and it gives you information you can share with your various stakeholders at those stages to uh, help them help them understand the journey that they're on and where they're at within that journey to manage expectations, um, to indicate what should be measured, what's actually material. Mm. Um, the other thing I really like about it, a, a well done theory of change will also surface the assumptions that underpin the relationships between A and B. Um, and obviously, in a you know, if, you, if your theory of change is somewhat complex, there's a lot more than A and B. So the assumptions under which those things should be true, um, being able to articulate those really allows you to demonstrate with your stakeholders internally and externally um, uh, what would have to what has to hold for for that to be true and it's actually so it allows you to uh surface risks mm. as well as you know look at what what evidence would be material and why mm. and so what's the difference between an investment thesis and a theory of change in your experience I'm pretty sure everybody's got a good investment thesis that's why they're you know that's why they're doing their thing so a theory of change is an evidence-based map of the relationships between the steps you're going to go through along the way to a destination. Mm. So it's based on how it's based on evidence of how change happens in the world um, rather than, you know, underpants gnomes and, and step four profit. <laughs> um, and you is, know, that, do you that think is, that applies to a lot of investment theses like underpants gnomes and profit? Yes. Yes. Right. Um, but that's okay. You know, there's lots of, there's lots of ways to make money. Mm. So is it um, a mechanism and a process to take an investment thesis and extrapolate it into a theory of change? I mean, is that operationally how you would then create a structure through which you deploy capital and then test it in the market, if you will? Personally, I'd start with the theory of change first. Mm. Figure out what you want to what you want to change in the world, mm. what you want to achieve in the world, and then allow that to dictate what appropriate resources are for that. Um, maybe that some asset classes are more appropriate than others, um, you know. And there's a the the bridge between the investment the investment thesis and and the theory of change is um, it's a term we don't use very often, but like you can think about that as the as a theory of action, mm. which is you know theory of change is the on the evidence of 
how things change in the world. You know, so if we want to uh, help have better outcomes in the social space for people with disabilities, one of the things we need is housing. Mm. Right. We've got here's a bunch of evidence, rigorous, peer reviewed of why that is true so that, you know, when things aren't working out according to your theory of change, that either you have uh, a bad assumption, Mm. bad evidence or bad execution. And the execution piece is actually that's the theory of action. How do we as a particular set of investors with a particular set of resources work that theory of change? How do you implement it? How do you operationalize it? Um, and that is that then bridges to the investment thesis. Mm. So we are going to invest X amount of money in Y types of, of instruments for Z types of outcomes. Mm. So my understanding is we've just sort of kicked over globally a trillion dollars in, in impact if you will, compared to 120 trillion in the the overall market, so there's quite a quite a you know it's, there's a lot more room for this. Uh, though, for the people in 98 percent of the market, are they looking for ways to make money, and it will better serve them, considering the sort of shifting tides of social license to operate and UN sustainability goals, and essentially in the environmental collapse facing society if we don't do better things from a circular economic perspective and just generally look at the sort of unchecked capitalism growing eternally i might be getting a bit deep there so do those people um go and try and apply a theory of change to their existing funds to get in line with all of that or do they really need to pull way back and be like okay with the power invested in us what are we actually going to do with our with our wealth with our money I think it's more the latter. You wouldn't um, generally you wouldn't look at an investment portfolio and say, I'm going to slap a theory of change on top of this because the, the relationship goes the other way around. Mm. Um, but if you have things you want to change in the world, or even if you want to, you know, you look at the evidence and say, well, actually it's, it's good business to be behaving in a more sustainable and more impactful way. Mm. Um, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to it. There's also a lot of risk avoidance associated with it. Mm. Um, so I think you know sometimes people who don't operate in the in the impact space think of it as risky or non lucrative. That's mm. generally because they're not engaging with evidence. <laughs> mm. um, you know that's a very outdated assumption. Unless what you're comparing it to are some of the things that are causing some pretty hideous environmental and social harms mm. in which case that is that is what you're buying with your dollars yeah and you know it's a i guess it's personal choice to say whether or not you're okay with that whether or not your investors are okay with that but those things are also there is unpriced risk in those things as you know our sense of socialists to operate changes mm. And those things can those can, things can change pretty hard, and in a world of increased transparency, yeah, and that, that's that can bite really quickly. Yeah, that's sort of the core of what I'm sort of presenting here in this work with this research paper we're doing around the regulatory change across Australia, the UK, and Europe that's coming to really clamp down on this kind of thing because skeletons in the closet in an age of transparency is not where you want to be. Um, and potentially you can turn around to your clients and say, hey, what what areas are important to you? Because we look after all of your money. You know, the idea that people are getting 10% of everybody's wages every month and or every week and need to do something with it. Um, there's a 
there's a point to be made there about finding out what those people would like you to be doing with their money. Um, yeah, I mean, the most, the most influential decisions you will make are decisions that most people don't actually make. They just sort of happen, which is where where your money is invested. Mm. And so as we talk about impact, what, what should people understand about the power of impact measurement? Uh, even as a measurement professional, um, I'm just not interested in measurement for measurement's sake. We could we could be here all day with those things. Um, that becomes how many angels dance on a head of a pin. You know, what I want to know is, is it material mm. and is it decision worthy? So if you're not measuring things that will make a difference to decisions, then you probably need to rethink, rethink measurement. Mm. Um, just but this is also true in in financial information. Yeah. Um and business execution. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If it's if it's not decision worthy, <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. Um, so impact performance information is just performance information, like any other kind of performance information. And right now, if you know an organization is not doing it mm. and making decisions. What what are you making that decision on the basis of? Yeah, you're obviously making it on the basis of something. Is it a, is it a hunch? Is it a you know? Is it the vibe? Mm. <laughs> uh, is it preferences for working in the space you know, so you think less is going to go wrong? Yes, yes, and you know, as we know, uh, past performance is not an indication of future performance. Yeah, uh, things can go things to... can go badly really quickly. How does one do it properly? You know, at a top level, it's like the okay, yeah, it's it's great if you do it, and don't do it, don't measure stuff you don't need to do, don't need to measure. Um, but how does how do you do it properly? So, thinking through a theory of change mm-hmm. will actually give you a, a a blueprint of most of the things that you want that you want to that you will want to measure mm-hmm. to figure out whether you're you know on a short, medium, and long term actually getting the results that you want to get. Mm. Um, the other things that matter are things that your stakeholders need. So uh, whether that's regulatory stakeholders, whether that's your investors, um, you know, other other key stakeholders, that's the exception to if you're not making it to using it to make a decision, is somebody else using it to make a decision mm. or is someone just collecting it that has power over you? <laughs> Um, but you know, then within that figure out what you can, what you can measure well, Mm. and it's okay, you know, be realistic. It's okay to say, I'd really like to understand, for instance, I've got a, I've got an investment in, um, you know, some internet of things, uh, uh, device, a company making internet of things devices that help monitor electricity. Now, what I would really like to know as an investment manager is, how many of those, how many people receiving, you know, mod- energy monitoring information are then able to have net zero energy use? Mm. That's that's what I want. Yeah. I can't have that because they don't have that data. You know, maybe in the future we'll help them, we'll help them build out that data, but figure out what ideally you'd like and mm. then be able to back up from that and say, well, what is a reasonable proxy and why do I think it's a reasonable proxy? Mm. You know, what's what's realistic to measure? How frequently do I need to measure? You know, there's there's some things I measure quarterly and there's some things I measure annually because the fact is they don't change that quickly. Mm. And do these factors bolt on top of 
how you would measure an investment uh, from a perspective of profitability and sustainability and growth? Uh, They they enhance that measurement, actually, uh, because they surface opportunities for expanding in different customer segments or different uh, products. They also identify risks that you might not have on strictly a financial basis. One of my colleagues talks about, um, uh, you know, the, the Harvey Weinstein effect, um, you know, and the, and launching the, the me too movement. It, it talks about that in terms of risks that were already on the balance sheet. Yeah. If that was a, if that was a bad, if that was a bad asset that needed to be written off, you'd have that on a, you'd have that, you know, change on your balance sheet. Yeah. But the social risk in that case, lots of people knew it was there. Mm. Nobody was pricing it in. Mm. So having that impact information allows you to identify risks that were go- that will risks and opportunities that can affect your financial performance as well. So we could think about the, those as kind of um, you know d- d- double material double materiality. Mm. You know, so it's both the financial impacts or affects the impact, but also the impact affects the financial. Mm. And as the CEO, CIO of Kalara, when you come to investees, do you say to them, right, you guys all need to do this, this, and this if you want to play with us? Or do you say, right, we're going to turn up and do this, this, and this with you to help you go this way? Um, where's the, you know, where's the burden of, not the burden of compliance, but where does the extra effort and hours come from? Um, it's it's somewhere in the middle between those. Um, there are certain things, you know. We do a we do a fairly um, uh, extensive getting to know you process with with a potential investee, um, in which we kind of try to ascertain their. Um, we want we want someone we want a founder that is strongly aligned, and even if they don't have evidence believe in evidence uh, and, you know, have the capacity within their organization and the drive to develop evidence if they don't already have it. Um, There are a few things, you know, we are a climate focused uh, investment manager and um, there are things that we are specifically interested in measuring um, from, for the, from the perspective of our own strategy. Um, But, you know, after that, it's looking at where do you have measurement currently? What's where, how is it being used in decision-making? How can we help you, you know, make better decisions, use evidence better, um, measure things that are more material, Mm. strategize and prioritize which additions you want to make. So really working with how impact information fits into your business strategy Mm. and helps you deliver better. Mm because then everybody wins. Hmm. And the fact is, you know, you've, you've come to an investor with significant impact expertise. Um, so you don't have to flounder around in the dark because there is somebody you can call. I'm not going to uh, necessarily sit down with you and rewrite your systems. Yeah. Uh, although we probably know somebody who can do that, <laughs> but we can, we can talk about, you know, what, you know, actually if you'd have a ratio of that number to that number, it would be a strong indication of, these particular outcomes, for instance, just yeah. ways of using information that you might not be familiar with. Mm. And so, as far as I'm aware, there's a real lack of people who can do this sort of work 
in uh, in the broader industry who can do impact measurement verification and things. Um, I mean, there are people providing this service, though when I think about that 98% of the market whose people may be clamoring for um, you know investments that are more ethically aligned for one of a better nomenclature, um, how do these people go about finding the resources and capacities to do it? Because I think there's this real push-pull with the, the greenwashing idea in that people are trying to respond to a market force, but at the same time don't have the capacities to actually don't do it. Capacity. Um, and this comes down to we were talking off um, before this about intention versus simply ignorance when it mm-hmm. comes to greenwashing. So do you have any thoughts on that? So the lack of um, skilled labor, if you will, like the lack of skills and capacity in in the fields has been identified year after year uh, in the GIN investor survey, so the Global Impact Investment Network, um, as as a real uh, limitation. And, um, you know, I can say that the university that um, I, I sometimes teach for, you know, has just last year put up a class in sustainable investing that is the first offering in the finance uh in the finance department hmm. that has to do with that has to do with this so the institutions there's going to be a lag but the institutions that are generating this you're seeing a lot of demand from the student side and institutions are now starting to starting to respond to this um because the, the, unfortunately a, a a fresh grad with some of that knowledge is, you know, maybe better. They may not have the, you know, the sort of nous and quantitative, you know, field tested quantitative reasoning that a senior analyst would have, but they've got the domain knowledge. Um, And so I think, I'm hoping that one of the things we're gonna see in more organizations is a bit of um, almost reverse shadowing where you bring in someone, you know, that's, uh, has the specific knowledge, if not the, um, you know, the the career placement, and actually using those to cross train each other. Mm. And I mean, to cut straight to it, for those watching, if you don't have a theory of change and you're not doing impact measurement and you don't have the resources in the labor perspective to do this effectively, the easiest way not to greenwash is not to make claims that are. Greenwashing. That's, that's kind of the point of what we're talking about here. So there's the easiest way to not be in trouble is to don't make stuff up. Um, that could be potentially misleading. That isn't evidence-based. Uh, which brings us to impact verification, such as Blue Mark and Tidelines work. Could you talk on talk on verification for me? So one of the uh, obviously in in um conventional finance, uh third party, third party verification is is an important part of um credibility and and you know just being able to play at a certain level of course of course your accounts are audited now the capacity limitations that we're seeing in other parts of the fields you know getting in-house measurement done is also true for for auditing and verification Mm. so right now you know there's, there's there's a limited there's limited um verification available in the field you know, which basically says we don't think you did anything actively wrong, mm. uh, which is not the same as a as a higher standard of verification, which is that we've gone in and double checked uh, your you know your figures and your math, and um, you know we can we can say with our hand on our heart that we believe this is true, um, which is you know easier in a in an area where you've got um, 
fungible outcomes, you know, so you've got school kids, how many completions was that? Yeah. If we imagine that one is mostly like another, that's somewhat easier than the, some of the really bespoke stuff that happens in the social space. You know, how do you get uh, women out of out of domestic violence situations and and re-embedded in the community, for instance, or or returning you know returning prisoners. Yeah. Um, same question. Any of those things? Very complex. Very personal. Um, now, in conventional finance, verification is a really important form of credibility, mm-hmm. and the theory from the folks who have come into come into the impact space uh, out of that part. Um, is that in order to move more capital, and boy, do we need to move a lot more capital to impact, Mm. in order to move more capital, in order to open the doors for institutional investors at at scale, we need to have verification Mm. um, that that is, you know, the expected, the expected form of credibility, particularly at a distance and at speed, right? We use certifications and verifications as a as a heuristic hmm. um, for who we can and can't trust for particular things. Yeah. Uh, so that's an emerging part of the field. It's not that common yet. Hmm. Last two questions. You have just read through the entirety of the report that you're contributing to. And I was wondering, what's your take on it for people out there? I think it is a very readable and and condensed um, version of you know what what greenwashing what greenwashing is what's available out there on the out there on the market um, what the what the regulatory and statutory changes are that are happening in various domains and even if you're not you know for instance I'm an, I'm in, you know an investor in Australia. But if I want to bring in European capital, I need to know what's going on in the EU, and they're they're driving a lot of changes um, that have had a real cha- real um, effect on the market, um, and and trying to strip out greenwashing. Uh, Australia is a little further behind that, but um, the I think the report is illuminating and and confidence inspiring. You feel like you are up to the up to the state of play. Um, in a, a variety of aspects, there's a clear understanding of, you know, what are the material things to think about if I was if I was in this uh, going down this path, and why it's valuable to do so, and the role of organizations like Bravo Charlie in making that possible. Great, thanks. And, and last question: What's something you've changed your mind about recently? I don't know how long your your definition of recent is, um, but I was writing something this morning and uh, around circular economy and uh, waste, and it wasn't that. And I was reflecting at the time that it wasn't that long ago that I thought of waste as a aesthetic issue that was localized, um, rather than you know the the real work that we have to do to to slow climate change, mm. when in fact waste is a big piece of the real work, uh, broadly defined and throughout the whole value chain, minimizing waste would make a big difference to a whole lot of things. Okay. Thank you so much. Pleasure.